0: From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Today's topic is jaw reconstruction, and with me in the HealthLink on Air studio is Dr. Jesse Ryan. He's an assistant professor of otolaryngology and communication sciences with expertise in jaw reconstruction. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me. So happy to be here.
0: Thanks. Well, let's um, start by defining what the jaw includes. Are we talking about the bone above and below the mouth, basically?
1: Uh, yes, yeah, absolutely. So the, the lower jawbone is called the mandible and the upper jawbone called the maxilla. And those are the the two bones that uh, house the teeth and, and make up the uh, anatomy of this topic.
0: Yeah. So, in, and it goes, the jaw goes further back than just the mouth though, right? It goes back to almost like the ears or something?
1: Right. The jaw connects uh, in front of your ears. That's what um, people know as the temporomandibular joint or TMJ. Uh, a lot of people have have occasional pain or, or issues with that that joint, and that's right in front of the ear.
0: Okay, so that's part of what you do. Uh, it, now let's talk about the types of jaw reconstruction.
1: Right, so that's, this is a broad category and I think would include things like a repair of fractures if someone were to break their jaw from a, from a trauma or from a fall, um, would include some set of surgeries that oral surgeons tend to do that involve repositioning of the jaws to help the teeth Better align um, as part of the process of shifting teeth with braces, Um, and then also some surgeries on that temporomandibular joint, also typically done by uh, oral surgeons, um, to address pain or chronic uh, inflammation or infections. Um, And then, and then today uh, we'll probably be talking a little bit more about a a smaller set of surgeries, but uh, a major reconstructive surgery of the jaw when a piece is missing, um, typically uh, related to a to a cancer of the mouth.
0: Oh, okay. So uh, cancer or uh, I guess with the severe trauma maybe or something.
1: Right. Uh, A a severe trauma like a gunshot wound or an explosion could cause a a piece of the jaw uh, to be missing that would require one of these major reconstructive surgeries.
0: Are there many people that need um, sort of extensive jaw reconstruction? I mean, the things we've described just now seem like kind of rare, but...
1: Right, thankfully these are, are relatively rare problems. Um, at an institution our size, we may uh, deal with five to ten of these patients in a year. Um, even lar- much larger institutions might only see, you know, ten or twenty a year. Um, so thankfully it's a rare problem.
0: So historically, what has been done for people who are missing a portion of their jawbone?
1: Well, this is, has been a major problem. Uh, problem for this subset of the population for for decades or really centuries uh, since cancer surgery or, or since trauma has has happened. And initially, there was very little that could be done. Uh, there's a, uh, well, I don't know how famous anymore, but a somewhat famous comic strip character from actually the early to mid um, 20th century uh, named Andy Gump, who is a character who's missing his chin. and And that's essentially what would happen if you needed to remove the front portion of the jaw, and and didn't replace it with bone, you would just be missing your chin, and with um, really tremendous uh, cosmetic um, problems and difficulty speaking and swallowing.
0: So, in in the case of this Andy Gump character, I think it was um, he had an infection from a tooth extraction, like a dental thing, that caused him to have to lose that area. So.
1: Uh, yeah, it, I think uh, they crafted a story around it. Although uh, um, typically, you, you wouldn't end up losing your jaw from a from a, from a tooth infection.
0: So, is it more than a cosmetic issue?
1: Right, the front part of the jaw, especially, uh, very important for positioning uh, the tongue and important for speech and swallowing function. So, we do feel like it's very important to replace the bone that is missing. Um, uh, In the mid part of the last century, um, some techniques improved where we would at least be able to put a titanium plate across the gap of missing bone and cover that with skin or muscle in an attempt to preserve some of the structure, Um, although these procedures were also fraught with problems in terms of infection and eventually exposure of that plate with time.
0: So uh, what else has been done? Like, have there been advances since the titanium?
1: Yeah, thankfully, um, in the 1970s, there was a tremendous advance in reconstructive surgery uh, that was a technique to use microvascular reconstruction and essentially transplant tissue from another part of the body uh, to help fix a defect and to help match what is missing uh, with the type of tissue be that skin or muscle or bone. And these are called uh, free tissue transfers um, or free tissue transplants. And that development uh, has shifted to jaw reconstruction. And starting in uh, the first one in 1989, a a portion of a leg bone has been used to reconstruct the jaw by reshaping it and also sewing the blood vessels connected into uh, new blood vessels in the neck to provide um, provide healthy blood to that tissue to enable it to survive.
0: So microvascular free tissue transfer is used for, in other surgical applications, not just right. for jaw. It started.
1: It, it certainly started even in other applications, and it's used uh, all over the body by um, reconstructive surgeons, both plastic surgeons, uh, uh, head and neck surgeons, um, orthopedic surgeons use it uh, as well, those who have specialized training in, in these procedures to help fix um, fix problems all over, whether it's uh, coverage from a traumatic wound or, or often a cancer surgery or, um, or functional reconstruction. Those procedures in many cases have become so successful that that's broadened their uh, list of potential applications
0: so is the thinking that it's coming from the same person so it'll like there's not going to be a rejection or something from the body because it's it's the body has just moved to a different location right that's
1: exactly right so you don't deal with any uh, of the rejection risks that you do when you think of oh someone's having a kidney transplant uh, or needing to be on immunosuppressive medications so since it's from your own body um, that's not a risk at all. The the risks have to do with uh, the size of the blood vessels being connected are often somewhere between one and three millimeters. So there's a there is a risk of, of clotting um, or other problems. But overall, the success rate of these surgeries is somewhere around ninety five percent.
0: Wow. And and you mentioned blood vessels. There, I mean, there's you have to attach every blood p- vessel, right? To-
1: so typically a, a, at least one artery and one um, vein, sometimes more than one vein. And the arteries are connected with very small suture, uh, typically smaller than a human hair. Um, and then the veins are connected either with the same suture or there are some, um, there are some coupling devices that are used to, uh, to help attach the vein as well.
0: Well, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm your host Amber Smith, and I'm talking with Dr. Jesse Ryan. He's an ear, nose, and throat doctor who specializes in jaw reconstruction. So, what I wanted to have you do is sort of walk me through if I was a patient um, who needed lower jaw reconstruction. What, what, how would you kind of tell me to prepare for this? What would, what would it be in store for me?
1: Right. So let's, uh, let's pretend you're uh, a patient with a, with a mouth cancer that's going to require um, a, a segment of the jaw to be removed. And typically, we'll work with a team of surgeons. So one surgeon will address the cancer portion. One of my partners will do that. And uh, I'll focus on the reconstructive portion of the surgery. And so from the reconstructive side, uh, we would start with getting um, high-level imaging of the bones in the jaw using a CT scan and also checking the blood supply to the bones of the leg using another CT scan. And then we would take this information and we partner with uh, some engineering companies and they uh, put the CT scans on their software and over a conference call looking at the scans together they create a three-dimensional model and were able to uh, do a virtual surgery on the bone. And decide, uh, the surgeon doing the cancer piece can decide exactly where he or she wants to make the cuts in the bone, how much bone to remove. And once those decisions are made, we can uh, decide how to reshape this uh, leg bone, which is the fibula bone, or the non-weight-bearing bone of of the outside of the leg.
0: So why do you choose the leg bone instead of, I don't know, the arm or something else?
1: great question the uh, there have been several other places that have been uh, from the body that have been used over time um, one is a portion of the hip bone was used initially uh, but that procedure had a more difficult recovery for patients in terms of uh, pain or risk for the patients and is a more uh, challenging um, procedure in terms of getting that bone out to use in the jaw uh, the leg bone fits pretty well in terms of the Uh, size that's needed and the strength that's needed to reconstruct the jaw. It provides a fairly long piece of bone that your body doesn't truly need. Most of our patients are a little bit older. If you were running marathons you might notice a difference, but over time in terms of normal activity um, you really don't need the middle section of this bone. We leave the top portion and the bottom portion of the bone which helps stabilize the knee and the ankle. Um, so I'd so, still be able to walk, afterward. right? Yep, yeah, you can walk normally afterwards. Um, uh, and and other sites, for instance, the arm, the two bones in the arm are are more are required to be connected for normal arm function. There is a way to take a portion of the arm bone, uh, but it ends up being a fairly small piece of bone that's not. Uh, best for, for jaw reconstruction in most cases. And uh, similarly for the, for instance, the portion of the shoulder blade, it can be used for bone reconstruction, but it doesn't, uh, the shape doesn't tend to fit quite as well.
0: So the key is though that you have to f- take part of this leg bone and and shape it into the, pla- the bone that you're taking out of the jaw, right?
1: Right. This is a, a three-dimensional problem. And uh, one of the advances with computer modeling is that it truly enables us to address the three-dimensional problem in a three-dimensional way. Um, historically, we used things like popsicle sticks that were sterilized or other uh, two-dimensional objects to try to shape and, and design a, a reconstruction for the jawbone. Uh, but if you're doing it in real time, you, you really only get one shot at it, uh, and one of the advantages of doing a virtual surgery is, is you can look at a uh, reconstruction several different ways on the computer, and ask the engineer to, you know, uh, change one piece or make it longer or shorter, and you get actual dimensions, um, so that that you can choose the best option uh, for the patient's reconstruction.
0: It's a, a practice run before you actually. Do
1: exactly the- true. Exactly true. Uh, and then part of the, the reconstruction then will uh, the company will generate. Um, both some 3D-printed uh, pieces of material to help use during surgery to help uh, help make the cuts on the bone and the reconstruction exactly where we intended them to be from the uh, computer surgery.
0: So is this two surgeries where you go in and take the leg bone one day and then go back another day to do the jaw, or is it all done together? This
1: is all done at the same time. So the cancer surgery would be done first, and then the, uh, the reconstruction would be done the same day. And So um, it's a long day. It's a full day surgery, typically.
0: So, tell me what recovery is like for the patient.
1: For a patient with this extensive problem, the recovery is significant. They're typically in the hospital for a week or a little bit longer. Um, their overall recovery is on the order of of weeks to months. Um, but in the in the long run, in the in the months to years run, uh, the expectations that many of these patients will have a a full recovery in terms of normal uh, walking and um, trying to achieve a normal diet, normal speech.
0: So initially, though, I mean, because you're working on the jaw area, are they able to eat by mouth?
1: Initially, we, we typically keep them uh, fed through a temporary nasal feeding tube for a couple weeks uh, until they're ready to, to eat by mouth again.
0: And what about like talking? Will they be able to speak after the surgery? Uh, assuming
1: their tongue wasn't involved in the surgery, then uh, they, they're able to speak um, after the surgery.
0: Does, um, does their voice change at all? Uh,
1: not so much with just the jaw reconstruction. Many of these patients also have a portion of the mouth on the inside if it's a cancer problem, and, and their um, outcomes in terms of speech and swallowing really depend on how much of the inside of the mouth is involved.
0: And in terms of appearance, does, um, I mean, when you talk about a reconstructive surgery, I think of things being changed, but does a person look differently after this? Uh, You know, after the healing?
1: There are scars on the outside that tend to heal well, but uh, no, they tend to have a pretty normal appearance afterward. That's the goal is to reshape the jawbone in as close to normal a way as possible.
0: Neat. Well, this is very fascinating. I appreciate you sharing the information.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me to be here.
0: My guest has been ear, nose, and throat doctor Jesse Ryan from Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.